I want to start today by telling you an uncomfortable story about myself. My first date with my wife. Now, I showed up at the fish hatchery because she didn't want me to know where she lived. At least that's how I felt. I showed up at the fish hatchery to, to carpool with her and pick her up. I showed up in what I thought was an awesome outfit. I did the curls for the girls, so sun's out, gun's out. I had a button-up with ripped-off sleeves, and that's what I showed up in. Only later to find out that that was absolutely a horrible outfit. But I thought I was doing okay, and I had a pocket full of cash. I picked her up. We went out to Battle Creek. We were going to go to the fair, and we were going to watch the Sunset Balloon Launch, and it was going to be amazing. So we got there. Everything seemed like it was going to be okay. I spent the money, you know, dropping a bunch of money on tickets. It's going to show her a good time at the fair. I think the first thing we did was the Ferris wheel, if I remember correctly. And that went well, although I'm severely afraid of heights. She didn't need to know that. So we did the Ferris wheel, and, and that was good. And right after the Ferris wheel, uh, we did this next ride. And the only thing I can describe it as is uh, a demonic contraption of torture. Okay? And, and, and this is what it looks like. And so if, if you've been to a fair ever, I, I believe it might have been called the Scrambler. I'm not exactly sure, but this is how it works. It, it spins you this way, and then it also spins the entire thing this way. And then uh, to, during some of the period of time, it actually kind of lifts up on an angle as it continues to do that and, and, and does various maneuvers and gyrations. Also, the interesting thing about this contraption is they I think they strategically placed it. And what I mean by that is, we all know those wonderful smells of the fair, like those, those fried foods, right? I mean, the good ones. You're, you're laughing because you're, you're a little ahead of me in the story, maybe. But those good smells, those fried food smells with the elephant ears and the, the hot the corn dogs and things. And then, of course, you knew you've got the other smells. And apparently they decided this ride would be wonderful if it was right between the John's to go and the elephant ears and as we whipped around, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to vomit on this young woman. <laughs> and we're going, and, and perhaps you know the sound of when a machine fires up, you know, it's, and then it starts, and they play the music and stuff. And, and again, I don't know if this particular ride uh, runner was just very adept at reading the level of green on his patron's faces, or if he actually heard the words that I said to her when I started to fire down. I said, oh, I'm glad this is coming to an end. And we got a free two for that day. And so at the moment that I thought it was starting to go down, he fired it back up. I remember distinctly removing my hat that I had on and thinking to myself, this will be good to catch whatever's coming out in. Now, that was a super uncomfortable, and it doesn't, it doesn't get any better. After the ride, I told her, I said, we've got to go sit down. I felt weak in the knees. I was, I'm sure, green around the gills, as you can imagine. We went and sat on a bench, and I, I gave her some money, and I said, I need you to go buy me some water. As I sat there holding my head in my hands, she went and, went, went and bought me a water. Shortly after that, we just sat there for a while. I said, I, I can't ride anything else. I'm going to have to give these tickets away. We found another young couple that looked like maybe they could use my misfortune we gave them the tickets to the rest of the rides that we had spent and we sat there for what felt to me like the rest of the evening now we did end up watching the balloons uh go up and i thought well this is it this is my first and last date with this young woman i tell you this story to say this that was an uncomfortable situation for myself but totally worth it 
uh, because tomorrow we're going to be married for 13 years, and I praise God for every single one of those years. Yes. Thanks for the... You don't have to clap until it's after 20, though, just so you guys know. That's the rule, I think, right? <clears throat> but I believe that God rewards discomfort. There's lots of things in our lives that are uncomfortable, isn't there? In fact, if we're honest, I, I think for us as Christians, we have uncomfortable faith. See, uh, American culture is a culture of comfort. It's being sold to us. In fact, it's not only being sold to us, it's being force-fed to us. We're encouraged to do whatever we want, with whomever we want, whenever we want, and if something's uncomfortable, we try to avoid it at all costs. Uh, I mean, just think of your Netflix channel. Uh, There used to be a time back when Netflix first came out where they would send you these things in the mail, right? And we would have this list of this queue of movies that we would enjoy, and they'd, they'd just cycle through that queue. And if it was a movie we didn't want to see, guess what? It wouldn't go in the queue. Or if it was now that it's streaming, we wait for the first 30 seconds of the movie, and if it doesn't jump out and grab us, hey, we flip it off and we turn to the next thing that we think that we're going to enjoy. Well, Charles Spurgeon said this, If, if I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment that I did, he says... If I had found one, I should have spoiled it uh, because it would no longer have been perfect since I was now a member of it. And so I want to talk to you today about this, this awkward essentialness that we call the church, this awkward essentials that we call our faith, the awkwardness of what it means to do life in community with one another. And so as we jump into this this morning, will you please join with me in prayer? God, our Father, as we begin our discussion of this awkward challenge of living in community with one another, help us to focus on the point and the source of this community, which is Christ. Show us what it means to live life in the Spirit and not by the flesh. By the power of the Word, we pray for your refiner's fire that you might cause us to become uncomfortable this morning for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The first thing that is uncomfortable about our faith, and I think that you would probably believe me when I say this or uh, be in the same boat as me, is his method is unattractive, isn't it? I mean, the method of salvation, the, the method of how Jesus came, what he did, all of that is, is unattractive to this world. I mean, look what it says in Mark eight thirty four. It says, and, and calling the crowd to him... With his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up their cross and follow him? Now, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, and, and, and this shouldn't embarrass you, but, but how many of you happen to have a necklace on with a cross on it this morning? Anybody? My brother, okay, so just a couple of you. My brother-in-law just bought one, and I'm happy for that. I bought one for my wife, I believe. I'm sure she has one in her jewelry drawer. I used to wear one. It's kind of like wearing an electric chair around your neck, right? Or, or if you have one on the wall of your house, it's kind of like hanging a guillotine on the wall of your house. If we think about it, this is an executioner's device. One of our three quotes I want to read for you this morning comes again from Charles Spurgeon. By the way, I really like Charles Spurgeon. If you haven't read anything that he has written, uh, you're, you're missing out. He says, hide not the offense of the cross. Let you make it. Uh, lest you make it of none effect. The, an- the angles and corners of the gospel are its strength. To pair them off is to deprive it of power. Toning down is not the increase of strength, but the death of it. 
his method is unattractive. One of my favorite hymns, our favorite hymns as a family, when we do a, a hymn sing is the old rugged cross. If you're familiar with it, great. If not, there's some words that it says in there that, that tell us about this. It says, on a hill far away, this is verse 1, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. He goes on in verse 2, says, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. And we would think, how morbid. He sings verse 3 and then verse 4 says, To that old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. And then the refrain in between these verses goes like this, So I'll cherish that old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to that old rugged cross and, uh, cross and exchange it someday for a crown. This is unattractive to the world. This method is foolishness to the world. 1 Corinthians 18 for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who believe, being saved, it is the power of God. Think about the letdown this was to the disciples. So Jesus, 30-year-old man, baptized in the Jordan. John sees the heavens open and the Spirit come down on him. Uh, Jesus leaves there. He starts calling these fishermen. And, and even that alone, no self-respecting rabbi back in that time would have the rabble-rouser of, of followers that he would have. This is the Jesus who would hang out with tax collectors and sinners. This is the Jesus that would go and touch lepers. This is the Jesus who would, who, who would dismiss prostitutes and forgive their sins. This is the one who would claim to be God. This is the one who would call the religious elites hypocrites and tell them that they were full of falseness. People were so excited for Jesus when he rode into town on that donkey, Hosanna in the highest. And then there was the cross. Jesus was supposed to be the Savior who was supposed to ride in on a white stallion, kick open the Roman doors, rescue the princess from the tower, right? All those things. And instead, he dies. How unattractive is that? Jesus says, you want to follow me? You're going to have to deny yourself. Jesus told the disciples, hey, you had this idea, this plan for the kingdom, this plan for your life, this plan for between, uh, what was it, the two sons of thunder, uh, the sons of Zebedee. Hey, we want to sit on your right and on your left when you're in your kingdom and full of power. And Jesus says, you don't understand that my method is unattractive. It's also under, unattractive because it undermines our logic in today's world, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I try to be a good person. I want to be a good person. I like to be a good person. I hope you do too. And our world tries to tell us, hey, being a good person is enough. You live your truth, I'll live my truth, we just won't hurt each other, and then everything is going to be okay. I'm okay, you're okay. But scripture tells us that his method is unattractive. This flies in the face of survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest is, it says, defeat the weak, conquer, kill. Jesus says, come and die. Come and give up your rights. Come and give up yourself. Come and follow me. Forgive and pray for your enemies. If they strike you on one side, give them the other cheek also. If somebody forces you to walk a mile, then go to love one another. See, the gospel 
his method, dying on a cross, that is unattractive. It's foolishness to a world that we would have visible loss for invisible gain. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. He goes on a little farther in 27 to say, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, There's a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, If you guys aren't familiar with that, you can write that down. Maybe look him up. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. See, there's some loss that we have to accept if we're going to accept the cross. Some of the loss is you're not allowed to be your own boss anymore. There are so many people out there who want Jesus to save them, but they don't want Jesus to boss them around. Jesus died for you. He loves you. That's awesome because I love me too. And I deserve to be died for, right? That's the mentality. And the moment that you say, hey, but here's the thing. He has some requirements. He has some standards of you. We say, no, thank you. I'll be my own boss. Thank you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the reason I bring him up, he he refers to this as as cheap grace. We want to receive grace without doing anything in return for it. We think we just continue to draw from this well of grace over and over, even in the face of basically spitting in his face. Another loss of this cross, if we decide to take him up on his unattractive method, is that consumer religion now goes out the window. We have to understand that this cannot be your best life now. doesn't matter how many books are written about it. doesn't matter how many sermons were preached on it. What Jesus asks for is commitment, not consumerism. He does not say, come to me and have the white picket fence and the two-car garage and the land that you can hunt, fish, camp on, and the wife and the two and three-quarter kids or whatever Barna chooses to That's weird, isn't it? Two and three-quarter kids. I think maybe the biggest spot why this method is unattractive is it really flies in the face of pride. It flies in the face of pride because it means that everybody's on the same playing field now. Everybody's equal when it comes to the cross. Everybody's equal before God. Let me paint this a picture for you. This means that the upper middle class, college-educated wife who's a small business manager and also juggles motherhood, is equal standing as the strung-out prostitute. Uh, Galatians 3, 28-29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. When we read through this, we miss the discomfort in this statement. The Jews would say, You're telling me those filthy barbarians are equal with us in Christ? They would say, you're telling me that this slave is equal with the master in Christ? You're telling me that these females are equal with males when it comes to Christ? And Jesus says, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because the cross is 
his method is unattractive to the world because we like to have categories. We like to have pigeonholes. We like to say, hey, because of your education or your socioeconomic standard or because of your life circumstance, you're now at this level, whereas this person over here who might not have those same things, they're at this level. Another way this is unattractive is because our culture doesn't think it's cool to be Christian. See, the method of the cross goes to all areas of our, of our lives, and it means that sometimes we have to be politically incorrect. It means I have to say things from the pulpit that are going to offend people. It means I have a standard that I have to preach, and I have to hold myself to, and you have to hold me to, that is not popular in the worldly society. John Stott says, either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under his judgment and if left to themselves, lost. Or we emphasize human potential and human ability and we see Christ as one who is simply a mere boost to their ability. He ends this by saying, the former is the way to be faithful. The latter is the way to be popular. And it's not possible to be faithful and popular simultaneously. Other places in scripture it talks about that in the latter days they're going to want preachers who just tickle their ears. Where they can come in and say, hey, you know, whatever that dark sin is in your life that you feel guilt over, it's okay, Jesus died for you and he loves you, and you don't really have to change that because his grace is sufficient and new every morning. And while that is true, the cross calls us to more than that. You see, there's gain in the cross. And that brings us to the next point of my message this morning. So his, his method is unattractive. Our message is offensive his cross is uncomfortable. If that wasn't enough for you of our uncomfortable faith, his standard is unpopular. And yes, he has a standard. First Peter 1, 15-16, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. What is holy? Holy simply means being set apart, being other than, being different for the purpose of righteousness and service to God. So what Peter's saying is here is through the cross his standard now is holiness, righteousness. In fact, some translate this in other places perfection, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And the world outside scoffs at that. They say you fools you're ridiculous. How can you possibly have the standard? Who can ever match up to that? And of course, none of us really can, but I want to read you this. This hurt me. I hope it at least makes you somewhat uncomfortable. If you will hear, stop and ask yourself why you are not as pious as the primitive Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it's neither through ignorance nor inability but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. Do your standards match his standards? Do our standards, Elegant Bible Church, match his standards? Or do we never really intend it? You know what holiness implies? You know why his standards unpopular? Holiness implies there's something wrong with us. Holiness implies that we need to change. 
Holiness implies that we're not good enough the way we are. There's so many people out there that are talking about their authentic self, right? Popularized in different songs, like, baby, I was born this way. And so they're saying things like, hey, this is just me. This is just who I am. I was just born this way, and I'm being unauthentic to myself if I don't live this out. This is who I am. But holiness implies that there's judgment. Holiness implies that there are standards that are unpopular for the world. And if we're honest, a lot of times they're unpopular for us. And if we're really honest, we have to agree with Mr. Law. But this holiness matters. It matters not only because it's God's standard, which is enough. It matters because holiness is God. God is holy. It is his attributes. And we are his image bearers. He has created us for this. So somebody might say, hey, I was born this way. Scripture says, yes, but you were created for more. I mean, just look at the history of Scripture. You have Abraham who is called out from a people. I know I'm starting far, but that's okay. You have Abraham who is called out from amongst his people to go to a place that he didn't know about, the place that God was going to show him. He says, you're going to be my people. And from you, the nations are going to be blessed. And as you fast forward, look at Israel. Israel has an ark. This ark is so holy, it's so righteous, it's supposed to be so set apart that it has its own tent away from Israel. And only certain people can even enter into that tent. And even those people, only once a year. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament where somebody accidentally touches the ark and he is killed instantly. And the reason is is because God's holiness is no joke. God's holiness is a standard. And his standard is his standard. And he doesn't change it or move it because it's unpopular for us. Holiness also matters because isn't that a witness? I mean, just how many of you don't like hypocrites? You say one thing and do another, right? I mean, if there's a standard, shouldn't you hold that standard? Isn't that something that we should be seeking to do? If we're a Christian, shouldn't we ourselves despise hypocrites in Christian faith? I mean, I know I do. I think of some men who I have dearly loved and loved to hear their teachings, and then later after they die, you hear some scandal that comes out, and I'm like, man, the work that you have done is now permanently tarnished. That doesn't mean that the work that they always do is isn't fruitful, but it means there's now always a stigma over you. And also, if you look at Romans 12, 1 through 2, holiness is, is our worship for God. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on in verse 2, and he's going to tell us what that means. What does it mean to be holy? Well, He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and then here it is, what is perfect. See, there's this idea that to live out of conformity with how we feel is hypocrisy. You've heard the term fake it before you make it, everybody, right? People say, well, that's, you're being a hypocrite. Not at all. Because sometimes I feel like cussing. 
but I choose not to. Is that hypocrisy or is that integrity? Sometimes you might feel like cutting somebody off on the road and giving them the one finger wave, and you choose not to. Is that hypocrisy? No, that's integrity. And so we live in a society that tells us, hey, to live outside of the way we feel, that's hypocrisy. But instead, to live outside of the way we feel into the way that we actually believe is not hypocrisy, that is integrity. C.S. Lewis, one of the great thinkers, says the more that we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take over us, the more truly ourselves we become. See, his standard is perfection. I want this to be an encouragement to you. Jesus meets you exactly where you are, absolutely. And if he didn't, I would never never have been saved. And my guess would be, if you're honest, you could say the same thing. So Jesus meets you exactly where you are. He accepts you in the most filthy, decrepit, wretched place in your life, absolutely. But he loves you enough to not leave you in the filth. He loves you enough to bring you out of it, to wash you up, to clean you up, to put new clothes on you, to anoint your head with oil, to set you in a place and a table before your enemies so that your cup might overflow. See, his standard is unpopular, not unattainable. It's something we can continue work for through the Holy Spirit on this side of the grave. And it is what you are called to do to be holy and so with our remaining time together I want to close by saying this this is what you signed up for understand that if you chose Christ the things that I am telling you should not be a surprise to you and if they are then I'm sorry somebody sold you a, a raw bill of goods his standard is unpopular and his method might be unattractive but this is what you signed up for Scripture says this, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, I I don't know who this gentleman is, but I found his quote, and I I think it's good for this. We must put away our convenient notions of God, the one who always agrees with us, the one who always favors our nation, America, right? Uh, or our political agenda, whatever that might be for you, or the one who feeds us candy and never vegetables. Because that's not our God. When you sign up to follow Jesus, you sign your life away. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus only. And we need to understand that. We need to preach that. We need to teach that. We need to live that. It doesn't matter how unattractive or how unpopular it might be. You see, in America, there used to be a time, there used to be a time in our culture where to be American was to be Christian. And I praise God that that is now dying away. Nominal Christianity and moralistic deism, which is what that is, being a good moral person, you know, these things are dying off. And, And to be honest with you, we should expedite their demise. Two quotes. Last ones. C.S. Lewis again. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. 
See, C.S. Lewis knew that this is what we sign up for. Remember what he said? He said, if you want to come after me, you need to pick up your cross, die to yourself, and come after me. Remember he said, I I came to serve, not to be served. Remember he said, I've washed your feet. If you want to be like me, then you need to wash each other's feet. The thing about uncomfortable faith, the thing about living in community with one another is it is uncomfortable. But that's what you signed up for. And if you thought you were going to be part of a church family or serve a God who wasn't going to call you to things greater or harder than what you're currently capable of, then you you don't read my Bible. Just look at the people who we herald as great men and women of faith. And we look at their lives and we look at their calls and we look at what they've done. And you think that God has called you to then just sit and hang and not have similar kind of experiences in your life? This is what you signed up for. It means worshiping all together without segregating by age or interest, like contemporary or traditional style. It means preaching the whole counsel of God's word, even though it's unpopular. It means fighting against, uh, you, you know, cultural homogeneity and moving towards diversity. It means prioritizing the values of church, including things like membership or tithing. It means it means engaging one another. Bearing with one another. Loving one another, even when we disagree. It means being willing to submit to the authority of the church and being able to function if we ever need to do church discipline. None of this is easy. None of it's comfortable. But this is what you signed up for. Or maybe you didn't. But the truth is, that's our uncomfortable faith. At least part of it. Yeah, his method is unattractive. Our message is offensive. The cross is uncomfortable. His standard is unpopular, not unattainable. And that's what we're called to. And if you know him, if that's what you believe, that's what you signed up for. Let's pray. God, our Father, we would thank you for the gift of discomfort. We have heard it was said, no pain, no gain. And while we know that that's true for our physical growth and health, it's even more true when it comes to our walk with you. You have showed us time and time again As we see people in your word, it's not always comfortable to follow you. So by your spirit, we pray, help us to embrace your unattractive method of salvation, your unpopular standard of holiness, this uncomfortable call to community based on our faith in you. Help us by your spirit to fulfill that which we signed up for. It's in your name we pray. Amen.